Acts chapter 5. We're continuing our series on community life together. And what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at the New Testament church in the book of Acts and seeing what they did and how they did it. Now in Acts chapter 4, last week we talked about the lame man who was healed. What did Peter and John say to him? They said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And instantly his feet and ankle bones were strengthened and he was healed. And he went leaping and jumping and dancing and praising God. What did Peter and John have? They had the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now this week, as you look at Acts chapter 4, after that took place, the religious people, the religious leaders begin to get jealous of the leaders of the church. And they had Peter and John arrested and they commanded them, don't say any more, don't preach or heal or teach in Jesus's name any longer. And John said, sorry, but we can't do that. We can't stop speaking about what we've seen and what we have heard. When they're released, the people gather for prayer. And in Acts chapter 4, as they gather for prayer, they thank God for the trials that they're going through. And they begin to praise and worship him. And in the midst of that, God's presence comes down and it begins to fill the place. And the people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And literally, the place that they were in began to shake because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the people went forth, and the Bible says that they declared the word of the Lord boldly. Later on in chapter 4, it also tells us an account of this guy named Barnabas. And Barnabas sells a piece of land, and he's motivated, he's motivated by the Holy Spirit to sell a piece of land. And Barnabas was the guy who we'll find out later that went out and sought out Paul and brought Paul, who was Saul, and brought him to the church and connected him with the church. He sells this piece of land, and he takes the proceeds, and he brings it and lays it at the feet of the apostles to meet the needs of the people. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's, what kind of knowledge? With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that who? Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that your word would come alive. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And I pray that we would receive what you have for us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just kind of quickly, what do you think that the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was? What was it? Okay, some people say greed. Lying. What else? Pride. Theft. What else? 
Selfish? Any other ideas? They grieved the Holy Spirit? Deception? All of those things are a part of it. But one of the things is whenever Peter says to him, Peter says to him, it was yours before you sold it. And after you sold it, after you sold it, wasn't at your disposal to do what you wanted. Others would say, well, it's lying. And that's true. But I'd like us to be a little bit more specific about the lying that Ananias and Sapphira did. I believe that it was a form of lying that we call hypocrisy. My humble opinion, I believe that their greatest sin, and maybe they were greedy, and maybe there were some of these other things, but I believe that their greatest sin was a sin of hypocrisy. George MacDonald wrote this. He says, half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. The name that Jesus gave to this practice is hypocrisy, which means to wear a mask or to play the part, to play an actor. Ananias and Sapphira were impressed. They stood back and they watched as Barnabas, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, motivated by the Holy Spirit, takes a piece of property that he has, sells it, and gives it, comes and lays it at the apostles' feet. I believe it was one of those moments in time in which the Holy Spirit just inspired him to do that. And at that moment in time, he sells the property, he gives it, and his gift energized the entire church. People who had resources were motivated by his example. Whenever Barnabas took his property and sold it and gave, there were other people who somehow seeing his example and what he did and the energy that it brought to the church, there was other people who said, you know what? I got stuff. I got stuff that I have that I don't need. I can give it to the work of God. And so there were others who were motivated by that. People who were in need were encouraged because they could pay their electric bill. They didn't have electric bill back then. They could buy food. They could care for their animals. They could meet their own needs. And others were encouraged by the example of his sacrificial gift. Don't let anybody fool you. Money helps to provide lift to a ministry. Don't let anybody, people want to act like money's unspiritual. Money is neither spiritual or unspiritual. Money is a tool. If you want to see a ministry be given lift, money does that. When someone gives a large donation or leaves a portion of their estate as an endowment to a church or to a ministry, it propels that ministry forward and enables them to minister in ways that would not be possible without their sacrifice. Those types of gifts are almost like a rocket booster that enables the ship to break the earth's gravitational pull and send it forth into orbit. Ananias recognized this. And Ananias liked, he liked the way that the people responded to Barnabas. He wanted people to think well of him. So he said to his wife, let's sell this piece of ground that we have. We'll give a portion of it to the church. They don't have to know what we get paid for it. But when we give it, we'll act like we're giving it all. But we'll keep a portion of it for ourselves. Now, she also wanted the notoriety 
And so for some reason, she agrees with him in this. There is nothing wrong with wanting people to think well of you. In our prayer time this morning, we talked about that a little bit. How many of you want people that your name to be known as a liar? Oh, there's that Sonny. You can't believe anything he says. There's that Andy. You can't trust him for nothing. How far can you throw him? That's how far you can trust him. You're like, no, let's be honest. We don't want to be known as liars. We don't want to be known as thieves. We don't want to be known as lazy. We don't want to be known as untrustworthy. Those are not things that we want to be associated with our lives. Most of us, I think there's a good part of that. The Bible talks about a good name. The value of a good name and a good reputation. You lose credibility. When you've lost credibility, whenever you've lied to people or or you've done those things and you lose credibility, you lose influence. On the one hand, there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's nothing wrong with wanting people to think well of you. The problem comes when we're willing to lie and to deceive to appear to be something that we are not. We need to strive. You need to strive to have a name that when people say your name in the community, that it's held in awe, that it's held in respect. We have a responsibility as believers to have a reputation that's above reproach, okay? But we must not lie and deceive just so that we can keep that. You see what I'm saying? They were willing to lie and to deceive. Ananias brings a gift and he places it at the apostles' feet. But Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, recognized that something is wrong. Now, Ananias could have brought... He could have sold the property, let's say, for $100,000, and he could have gave $50,000, and that would have been fine. Ananias could have sold the property for $100,000, and he could have gave a dollar of it, and that would have been fine with God. Ananias could have sold the property for $100,000 and kept all of it for himself, and that would have been fine too, because Peter says to him, it was yours when you sold it, and it was yours after it. It was your choice to do with it what you wanted. But Ananias comes and he brings it and he lets on as if he leads people to believe that this is all the proceeds from this property because that's what Barnabas did. So he lets people believe this lie. But Peter, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, recognizes that something is wrong. And in the church today, friends, you and I, there needs to be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who can determine and have this understanding that when something is wrong. What kind of blows my mind sometimes is in the Christian world, how little discernment there really is. How Christians can be duped so easily and and how nobody seems to be aware of the things that are going on. Friends, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind. He will make things aware to you. He will reveal things to you that there's no way you could possibly know. He does that. He works in that way. Peter looks at him and he knows that something's wrong. Ananias, he knows that he's lying. Ananias is a believer who allowed himself to be influenced by Satan rather than to be influenced by the Spirit. 
He was influenced by a spirit, but it was the wrong spirit. The fact that Peter asked him, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land implies that somehow Satan gained the upper hand because Ananias had not dealt maybe some previous sin in his life or some attitudes in his life or some attitudes of his heart. This is what I want you to understand. We should not feel discouraged and think that failure to reach our ideals is hypocrisy. Let me say that again. On a day-to-day basis, you and I should not feel discouraged and lose heart. You know, want to throw up our hands and quit whenever we fail to reach our ideals. And we shouldn't think that that's hypocrisy. As human beings, there are times that we fail to live up to all that we know God has for us. There are times that the Bible says that we all have sinned and that we all fall short of the glory of God. It's not hypocrisy. It's it's not hypocrisy when we don't reach our ideals. That's not being a hypocrite. That's called being a human being. It's not a hypocrisy that at times we make mistakes. That's not being a hypocrite. People look at Christians and they say, well, you're a Christian and you did this or you did that. We're not a hypocrite because we don't always live up to everything that God asks for us. We become a hypocrite when we lie about it. That's when we become a hypocrite. The church needs to be a place where people can deal with their inadequacies and with our failures and our shortcomings honestly. The church desperately needs to be a place where people can be honest about our struggles. But you know what? There's probably some people in here, you probably didn't talk to your husband or wife the way that you should today. There's some people who this week, you probably, you would rather us not have a home secret home video of the way that you acted with your kids this week. There's probably some people here who you probably neglected some of the things that you know to do. Maybe your devotions or your time with God. There's probably some people here maybe who lost your temper this week. Maybe you're driving down the road and you mumbled some stuff under your breath that you, you, you know, maybe you didn't even mumble it, but it kind of ran through your mind and You kind of had to, there's some people here who you had some thoughts that went through your mind. There were lustful thoughts and you're not really proud of those things that went through your mind this week. Some of you are grumbling about someone else. You're angry towards someone or bitter towards someone. Now here's the reality. That doesn't mean that because I'm a human being and because you're a human being and we struggle in this body with sin. And until the day you die, my friend, you are going to struggle against sin. Okay? It doesn't mean that we're a hypocrite. It doesn't mean that God's against us. And it doesn't mean we should put a facade on. In the church, the church needs to be a place where in those struggles, we can have other people around us where we can be honest. And we can say, you know what? My attitude's just really not what it should be. I've just really been struggling with my attitude towards this person. And I don't really want it to be that way, but that's the way I feel right now. Help me work through this. And if we'll do that, then what will happen is God will bring liberty and freedom into our lives. And we'll find you're not the only one who struggles with your attitude. You're not the only one who struggles with being faithful to God. 
You're not the only one who battles discouragement or depression or fear. You're not the only one who sometimes feels selfish. You're not the only one. But there's a lot of others who are in that too. And as you're in that together, you can find that strength to help one another and encourage one another. But Ananias and Sapphira didn't want anything to do with that. They wanted to look good. And looking good was more important than doing good or being good. It was more important to them, their appearance. If we can't be honest in the church, the church is the place where people get help. The church is the place where you should be able to come and kneel at an altar or sit in a small group or after church, sit out in the chairs and be able to sit, if you're a man, to sit down with another man and say, I'm struggling now, help me. I'm having a hard time now. I need someone to throw me a rope because I'm about ready to go off deep end. I need someone to be there. I need to talk with someone. The church needs to be a place where that can happen. Now, Peter confronts this hypocrisy of Ananias. And he says to him, he says, Ananias, when he confronts him, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she says, this is the price. And Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Do you know what Ananias' name means? His name means God is gracious. Ananias' name means God is gracious. You know what Sapphira's name means? Beautiful. Now, although his name meant God is gracious, Ananias learned that God is also holy and just. Sapphira means beautiful, but her heart was ugly with sin. Now, Sapphira was not aware of her husband's sudden death when she spoke to Peter. And she was given an opportunity to speak the truth. Peter said to her, is this what they really paid? And I bet you in her mind, she went back and forth with that thing. Should I say it? Should I tell him the truth? Should I go along with Ananias' plan? Because we want to look good. Or should I tell him what's really going on? Well, we're struggling. We feel overlooked. There's... Barnabas and everybody was so encouraged by what he did. We wanted to be a part of that. We wanted people to be encouraged and we wanted people to think good of us too. And she goes back and forth in her mind of what she's going to say. And then she nods her head and she says, yes. She lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter accuses her of agreeing with Ananias to test the spirit of God. What does it mean? I want you to think for a minute. What does it mean to test the Holy Spirit? Just take a minute and think about what does it mean when I test the Holy Spirit? It's to push the boundaries. 
to see how much one can get away with before God judges. It's to push the boundaries to see how far can I go before God finally steps up and says something. It's really a disrespect of God. It's this belief when you push the boundaries, when you test God, you are presuming upon God. You're wondering if he'll really do what he says. And what you're really saying is, God, I don't believe that you have the guts to do what you say. I don't believe, God, that you'll stretch out your hand in judgment. I don't believe that you'll actually do anything about it. I don't know about you, but my personal, those of you who know me, my my personal style of ministry, I love grace. I love grace because I've been a recipient of grace. And I want more grace. And I need grace. I got to have grace when I get up in the morning. I got to have grace about mid-morning. I need a dose of grace. After I've done my shower, I need grace at noontime, mid-afternoon. I need grace all the time. And because I've been a recipient of grace, I honestly, I have this love of grace. I'm like, wow, you don't know how good God's been to me. And if he's been so good to me, don't have a responsibility to share that with somebody else. Now, there's times, though, that in church life where people think that because you're gracious and because you're patient... They mistake that for that you won't ever do anything. They think sometimes you won't say anything. And I don't know about you, but I get angry. I'm going to be honest. Whenever people mistake grace and kindness and patience and long-suffering, which are actually fruits of the Spirit, when they mistake that and think that I'm going to do this in your face and you're not going to say anything about it and you're not going to do anything about it, as a human being, I go from about... From about here to here in an instant. I'm done. When you do that, I'm done. No, you're not doing that. God has a certain point about himself that whenever people in your face, God, I'm going to do what I want and you're not going to do anything about it. And you aren't going to say anything and you aren't going to stop me. And I'm going to do what I want and fooey on you. There's a place with God where God says, no, that's not happening here. One of the great things about God is that although he's so kind and loving and gracious, he's also firm. And there's a healthiness about that. There's this firmness about God. He just says, no, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable in my kingdom. For Ananias and Sapphira, what they were saying is they were saying, God, you're not going to do anything about it. And that's one of the things that concerns me about our church in the world today. In the world today... There is this nonchalant attitude that people take towards God. They treat him with disdain. They treat him with disrespect. I'm going to go out and do what I want. And then God, you just got to put up with it. You have to put up with it. Well, I'm going to tell you today, he doesn't have to put up with it. It's his kindness and his love and his long suffering works patiently with us. But sometimes God brings judgment very swiftly and it blows people's minds. And that's what he did here. It's worth noting that the Lord judges sin severely at the beginning of a new period in salvation history. That when God's starting to do a new thing, When God's preparing to do a new thing, sometimes 
his judgment comes very swiftly and very severely. For example, do you remember in Leviticus chapter 10, just after the tabernacle was erected, Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, they tried to offer God strange fire. Now, I don't know all the details of what this strange fire was. They tried to offer God strange fire. They took their duties nonchalantly. They weren't serious about them. And the Bible says that fire came from the Lord and consumed them on the spot. And then God spoke a word, and that's Aaron's two sons. And then God spoke a word to Aaron, and he says, Aaron, if you open your mouth, I'm going to strike you dead. If you open your mouth, and if your sons, if they grieve, if they mourn for them, I will kill you. I will kill you right on the spot. That's what God said to him. God said, you, you have your hair unkept. If you show, if you show that you honor your sons more than me, I will kill you on the spot. So don't you even think about it. Read it. That's what God said to him. He said, I will kill. I'm serious. I will take, I brought you in and I will take you out. Isn't it crazy? But if God would have allowed them, he allowed the other people to grieve. He said to Aaron, and he said to those, those Nadab and Abihu's brothers, he said, don't you mourn for them? Don't you have any form of outside mourning for them? Because if you do, I'm going to kill you. I will destroy you. I will take you out. That's what God said. Why? Because if they showed their mourning for them, they were honoring them above the Lord. And God has to have his rightful place. God deserves his rightful place. Now we find another place here. God says in Leviticus chapter 10 verse 3, God says, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. Now in Joshua chapter 7, as Israel was entering into the promised land, they suffered a defeat at Ai. Now the first place, the first thing that they faced when they came into the promised land was Jericho. Jericho was this huge walled city. It seemed like it was impossible. It was at a very strategic location. And God spoke to Joshua and he gave him directions and they obeyed the Lord and God brought a great victory. The second place that they go into is Ai. And they don't even have to send their whole army. Just send a couple thousand guys. But God says, whatever comes out of Ai is devoted to me. Don't touch it. I want it to be burned. I want it to be offered to me. And they go into this battle and they suffer a quick defeat. And the people start to lose heart and they're ready to give up. And they're saying, what are the people going to say? You know, before when the walls fell down, everyone was afraid of us. Now anybody will think that they can beat us. And everybody's going to come and face us. Now they're running away from us. We're going to have a whole lot more battles. God spoke to his servant, Joshua, and he said to him, the reason why you lost that battle is because the people have broken covenant with the Lord and have taken some of the spoils that have been devoted to the Lord. If you look at Joshua chapter 7, verse 13, God said this, go concentrate the people and tell them, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you've removed them. You see what God's saying? 
He says that they've been defeated. They're wondering why. And once again, God speaks to the man of God. God speaks to his leader and he reveals to him, there's some things that are devoted to me that the people have. And as long as those things are hidden, you cannot stand before your enemies. As they went through the camp, they came to Achan and the Holy Spirit just directed and it falls on Achan and Joshua tells him, you know, man, man up, what's going on? Tell us before the Lord, tell us what's happening. And Achan said, you know, I'd taken the silver and the gold and the robe. I saw it laying there on the ground. It's going to be burned. It's going to be wasted. And I took it and I hid it under his tent. And God gave this instruction. God said, take him, his animals, his wife and his children, his family. And all of Israel, take them out and stone them. And then set them on fire. Set them on fire, God said. While God was certainly not responsible for their sin, he did use these judgments as warnings to the people and even to us. There were thousands of people who God was going to touch to that New Testament church. And whenever God struck Ananias and Sapphira, this great fear seized the people. And there was this awe and this reverence for God. There was an awe and reverence for the folks who were leading, for Peter. They were like, man, Peter's the man. He hears from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Our title was Hypocrisy Exposed. And in the church, if we're going to have community, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, then what God desperately needs and what we desperately need is people who are authentic. Not people who are perfect. I want you to hear me very clearly. We don't need people who are perfect. We need people who are authentic. Now, we're going to be perfect because Christ is going to perfect us. But in, in that, not this perfection of uh, that we never sin, that we never struggle, that we never have a bad attitude, that we never fall short of the glory of God, that we're never disobedient. But that we're authentic people and that we're honest about that. There's something that's so powerful when you're with another person And there's a connection that takes place. There's a connection and a relationship, a bond that's built whenever you're open and willing to confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. There's something that's so powerful about that. And this idea of someone else being perfect and they're up here and I'm down here, when we're honest and we just tell that I struggle sometimes, My attitude stinks sometimes. I'm discouraged sometimes. I'm fearful sometimes. I'm frustrated sometimes. When we're honest about those things, there's something about it that creates this connection and this unity that we have together. Because it's like when someone shares with me their sorrows or their struggles, I feel this bond with them because I have sorrows and struggles. When someone comes in, God's not asking for us to never face temptation and never to battle against sin. What he's asking for us is to be honest about that and not try to be actors. That's what creates disunity in the church. 
what creates this unity in the church and why the church at times doesn't have community, why the churches are lacking community is because we put on these facades that everything's perfect, it's okay. And we go home and we're struggling, we're dying inside. And the people beside us, they're, they're struggling too. We struggle on our own. I had a person one time who came to me and we were very good friends and, and he came, the person came to me and told me some of the struggles that was going on in his family and his home. And I just started crying. I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, I was ashamed. I said, why would you be ashamed? We're friends. I could have prayed for you. I could have, could have stood with you. I, I could have helped you maybe. What had I done that you didn't trust me that you could tell me those things? And there's many times that people fall spiritually because, and we see this outward judgment. God doesn't always strike people dead. But you see him fall away from him. You see him fall out of fellowship with the body. You see him disconnecting. And a lot of times it's, you know, not every time, but a lot of times it's because of hypocrisy. Because I don't want you to see who I really am. And ultimately I think that goes back to that there's a fear in people's hearts that if you know who I really am, if you understand my weaknesses, if you know the faults I've made, that you wouldn't accept me. There's this fear that if God, if God really, and we know that God knows, but there's this fear that, that maybe even God won't accept me. To those who come to him, the Bible says that he will in no wise cast out. That if you come to him, no matter what your struggle is, what your battle is, and you're honest with him, what happens is it loses its power over your life. What Ananias could have said is he could have gone to someone and said, you know what, I'm kind of jealous. I'm just jealous. I wish people would recognize what I do. I feel kind of unimportant. And I just, I'd just like someone to acknowledge the things that I do. I, you know, I don't feel good about myself. I wish, and, and someone could have talked with him and prayed with him and, and they could have shared with him the ways that he does bless others and, and helps others. But Ananias and Sapphira made a decision and they said, we're going to put on a mask and we're going to act like we're something that we're not. As we close today, as the body of Christ here at Lighthouse, can I ask you, can we make this place a place where we don't have to act, where we don't have to perform to be loved and accepted? Because I'll tell you, that's very attractive. It's incredibly attractive to know that people love you just for you. Wait a minute, I didn't perform. I'm not up to the par that I should be. I got all these faults and all these mistakes and you'll look around and you'll see that everyone around you has them too. Some of them are just better at hiding them. Can we as a church be a place where instead of having someone else expose our hypocrisy, that we expose it, that we bring it before God And we say, God, I'm not going to wait. You know, the funny thing is, is again and again, what I've seen in 25 years of ministry, I've seen again and again that sometimes people are unwilling. They're unwilling to deal with their weaknesses. And they would rather try to look good in front of you and appear good than to really be good. That's more important to them. Can we be a place where if that we... We just make it that here, it's okay. It's okay sometimes to fall short. Not that we approve of sin, 
But the funny thing is, is that we are, we have to understand we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. And that in our weaknesses, his strength is made perfect. As we put our trust in him, he reveals his plans and his purposes in our lives. And he accomplishes the funny thing is, is when you bring those things out of darkness into the light, they lose their power over you. They lose their control over you. And you don't have to be ashamed, but you can walk in liberty and freedom. So for us today, the verse that I want to finish with was this one. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You can't stand against your enemies until you remove them. Can we just stand today? And in this room... If in the past, if in the past, you would just say, God, there's some things, I've just been trying to look better than what I really am. I've been afraid that maybe people wouldn't think good of me. Maybe you wouldn't love me, and maybe others wouldn't love me if they knew just some of the struggles that I faced. But can I tell you this, friend? You got people right down the aisle from you who are facing, it may be a little different flavor, it's the same thing. And that we'd be people who just today, we just want to be transparent. We want to make a commitment to God. I don't want there to be any hypocrisy in me. And we're going to do that. We're going to ask you that if you would just say to God, God, I don't want there to be any hypocrisy in me. I want to be without pretense. The places that I struggle, I want to be open and honest with you. I want to be open and honest with other people. And I, if that's you, Dave, I just want you just to step out. Just for a moment, just make your way to the front. I'm sure that there's going to be many. If you just want to say to God, I don't want there to be any hypocrisy in me. I want to just be completely honest and bare before you. And as you're coming, I want to just start praying now. Lord, I thank you that judgment is not going to come on our families. I thank you, God, that judgment is not going to come on our homes. I thank you, God, that we're not going to be humiliated and embarrassed. I thank you, God, that some problems and some dangers and some tragedies have been averted today because we've stepped out of our pew and we've confessed before you and we've said, God, I don't want to be pretentious. I don't want to be deceptive. I want to be honest before you. And I want to depend upon you. I don't want to have pride, but I'm making a commitment today that in the things that I face, in the struggles of this life, in the literal spiritual battles for my soul, my trust and my hope is in you, God. Lord, I pray that as people step out, I pray that they'd sense a literal sense of freedom in their hearts and their minds. And I pray for some of the devoted things Some of the things that you said, I don't want in your tent. I don't want it in your tent, son. I don't want it in your tent, daughter. I ask God that we would privately, between us and you and another person, another human being, that we would privately deal with those matters that you're saying to us. I want you just to bring that into the light. I don't want that in your life anymore. I pray, God, that we would bring those things into the light and we would just be able to allow you to cleanse us, to renew us. Lord, any of those things that we think we could hold on to, none of them can compare with what you really have 
for us. Lord, right down the road, there were other great victories for the children of Israel. There were many spoils that you had for them. And so today, Lord, we just lay ourselves before you and we ask you, Father, that you would take us, that you would sanctify us, and that you would allow our struggles to be a help. Our struggles with depression, our struggles with discouragement, our struggles with fear, our struggles with anxiety or lust or pride or selfishness. Let our struggles be something that you turn around and use for your glory and your honor. Lord, I pray that not one person within the sound of my voice would have to suffer the consequence, the judgment of the Lord, the complications that that brings, the embarrassment that that brings. But let us, Lord, because we humble ourselves before you, let us receive mercy and grace and let us walk in freedom. Hallelujah.